welcome to the Deeper Dive podcast. Each week we take a deeper look at the text we covered in worship on Sunday. And we do that by discussing things like historical settings and literary contexts, the way others before us have read the text, and our own reflective approach to reading that same text. This podcast is part of Calvary's Daily Connection, a place where Calvary shares something new each day to help you grow in faith. So we hope you check that out through Calvary's app or by going to connectwithcalvary.org. Well, today on the podcast, uh, we're going to do something, um, well, I mean, it's still in the tradition of of what we do, but we're going to have some dialogue today about uh, politics and faith. And so right at the beginning, uh, I just want to put a a nice disclaimer. If this were on television, we would have the rolling text now that says these views are not necessarily uh, the views of uh, the United Methodist Church, (laughs) of Calvary United Methodist Church in Normal, Illinois, or um, all of the other associated bodies herein and thereto of. Uh, Right. So now you really want to listen, don't you? You're like, what What are they going to say now? Um, no, we just want to say that, uh, you know, we are people who are uh, both in traditions and um, also speaking, speaking for ourselves. And so uh, we want to highlight that today, that uh, don't walk away from this thinking this is what the United Methodist Church thinks or this is what Calvary thinks. Um, this is what uh, each of us thinks. And that's uh, an important thing to... Uh, to think about as we get going. So Randy, you uh, wanted to stir up this hornet's nest. Uh, so we give the stick to you. Uh, poke away. All right. We'll try. I, I really began with, <clears throat> as I, the more that I studied, um, the more that I walked back into um, the history of the, uh, quote, religious experience of Jesus' time. Um, and the more that I studied about how the Roman Empire in many ways controlled the church of that time, even to the point that um, uh, priests could priests could be removed pretty easily by the uh, Roman gov- governor of the day if they didn't say the right things or do the right things. Right. Um, and first of all, just an overwhelming appreciation that I can – worship in this country how I choose to worship, mm-hmm. realizing that that gives others the opportunity to worship how they want to worship, and, and I'm really fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm strongly convinced that uh, God is God and Jesus is the answer and the way, the truth, and the life, but um, God didn't force any of us to believe in him, hasn't, isn't today, and I don't believe he will tomorrow. Right. And so my appreciation that I don't have uh, – please don't read anything into this. But for instance, <clears throat> let's just take the mayor of Normal telling me what I need to preach on or the governor of Illinois or the president of the United States. Um, I've had friends in other countries who have done work in ministry whose lives were in danger uh, because of preaching or teaching. Um, and because of what they said or how they said it. Right. Uh, we've actually seen Christians in the last several years lose their lives overseas because they believed in, in Jesus. And uh, we've not seen that as directly for quite a number of years. Um, so that's what processor began my thought, was um, um, just to build, and I didn't have a chance to, to address this at all, but for us to appreciate our religious freedom. 
um, right. and, and to hold fast to that and to make sure that, uh, at least in this country, as long as we have an opportunity, we want to make sure that uh, that stays free. And that includes staying free for everybody, not just not those just of us who are us, Christians. Right. 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 Yeah, I think it's great to recognize that, to recognize <clears throat> that um, there is a the spectrum is much, much wider in terms of religious liberty than perhaps we we think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do have a uh, extreme amount of religious liberty in this country, and that's something we should be thankful for, I think, yeah. yeah. And when I go back and, and look at um, the events of Jesus' life, I am pretty quick to judge the religious officials um, mm-hmm. and be embarrassed uh, about what they did. And I have to remember that they... Um, weren't always acting just on what they wanted. They Their hands right. were pretty tied at times. And um, even if um, um, even if they weren't being told what to do and threatened in terms of what to do, when you're in that culture um, time after time and your um, job is on the line, your um, um, your living is on the line. Your all of that is on the line. I think you get to, you get kind of sucked into that. Um, so I may lighten up a little bit on uh, on those religious leaders, but um, I kind of forget how tied in they were um, with the Roman government and how um, how much they had to answer to them. Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, and certainly how how much Rome's occupation and empire building was was built on psychological warfare yeah. as well as just you know straight up uh, physical restraint that you know the the symbol one of the largest symbols of our faith the cross mm-hmm. you know was a psychological weapon that said if you if you go against what uh, what we're thinking this is what will happen to you and so to put that on display um, is just running underneath the surface all the time cross us and this is what you will get yeah you know? yeah. yeah and that you know I, I until this uh kind of season of preaching i I think i had never even in all my years thought a whole lot about that intensity mm-hmm. that they had to deal with um and i i am very grateful that that we don't have that um in our society today well the intensity that they dealt with um I'm sure that at some point in my education, I had heard more about the imperial theology, but it certainly was not on my horizon again until recently of that day and time. Um, part of Palm Sunday is, uh, or has been in the traditions I've been in, has been encapsulated somehow in in uh, waving palm branches and missing the whole cloak piece to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, waving the palm branches about Jesus' triumphal entry, and not much has been taught about the entry on the west side of town. Right. Um, not much has been said about the fact that I think that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was a planned event. It was not a happenstance that there was a cult there. Right. Um, there was not a happenstance that somebody asked the question that Jesus said, and if anybody asked you who has need of this, this is what you tell them. Um, I think it was all a coming together of God's plan as Jesus worked his way back towards Jerusalem. Right. I think in order to avoid the confrontation 
that was surely to come and did come towards the end of the week. Jesus came into Jerusalem later that afternoon, on that Sunday afternoon, went into the temple, most likely when it was pretty much empty, in order not to start the ruckus or for them to grab him at that point and kill him, because that seemed to be uh, their intent somehow or another, um, because they had a sense that he was really going to disrupt things. and in fact, that disruption did happen um, 30 some years, 30 of 66, I think, uh, AD, when um, the children of Israel rebelled against the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was not yet, the timing was not yet right for that to happen. So, so as you look at this, Randy, um, and we look at our day and time, and, and I don't mean just 2017, but I mean the last 50 years even or so. Um, do you see any similarities or any differences in the ways in which we as Christians deal with government and politics and, and that kind of a thing? Um, there have been times when, when, um, when I reflect back now from my vantage point now, when I believe probably Christians had uh, uh, easier favor in light of the government, it may still have that today uh, when Christians, um, uh, well, folks refer to the United States as a Christian nation, which has always made me cringe just a bit. Um, but I know when I was in high school, I led a prayer meeting in our high school uh, for years. I believe it was on Tuesday mornings, and there was no repercussions. In fact, it was welcomed. There was nobody else in town from any other different faith that asked for that request. Right. Whether that request would be honored today or not, I'm not sure. And there's a part of me that says, if it's not, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess uh, one of the tangents I get off on once in a while is, uh, while I appreciated being able to pray in school, I was going to pray whether I was in school or out of school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes... We have, uh, as the church, and this is an observation, I hope, and not a criticism, but it does have a little bit of a critical mm-hmm. undertone. We, as the church, having drawn ourselves into our own little churchy circles, have attempted to uh, give away our responsibility to teach our kids how to pray or to, to, to lift that up. We've expected the Ten Commandments on the courthouse steps to be the witness and, and I'm just saying, I think we've dropped the ball on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just excited when that became such an issue here several years ago, how many houses around the area, the Ten Commandments on these yard placards appeared. And I thought that's what needed to be happening all along, rather than some blanket statement. The same thing with um, prayer in school. Um, if, if the only place we can pray is in school, then we've missed it. Um, so that doesn't really rock my boat. Sure, I'm disappointed, but the reality of the truth is is that I f- if I appreciate my religious freedoms, then the others need to have it. Everybody else needs to have the same freedom. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a, an experience um, several years ago in a church that I was serving, um, and this isn't this doesn't point to other religions. It just points to the Christian faith. But it was a very, very Catholic um, county. 
And um, so um, the school system, the public school system, had um, uh, leased the parochial schools, what were the former Catholic schools. Mm -hmm. Catholic schools had closed, uh, but they leased them for like a dollar a year or whatever. Um, And that's where their elementary schools were. Well, they kept the public school religion from the Catholic Church in those public schools. (laughs) They would continue to have PSR before school started. Oh, I see, yeah. You know, did I make that clear? Uh, Yeah. And um, at the same time, I was trying to, um, um, because they were, when, when I first went to that area, people said, well, we can't minister in those areas, they're all Catholic. Well, mm-hmm. no, they weren't. Um, and I considered um, going into the schools and asking if we could do something. However, I did not want to risk kicking out PSR from those schools. Sure. Yeah. If I went in and asked to do anything, I thought that could mess that up, and um, and I didn't want to mess that up. If uh, they were, um, um, if they were still doing that under the radar. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't forcing anyone to to participate in that, and I wanted to encourage um, uh, encourage their their uh, teaching. So I didn't I didn't um, push that. Um, but there are, are areas in which um, if uh, if we say that we want to um, uh, practice, then that also means that all kinds of other mm-hmm. faiths um, um, can practice, and and I'm okay with most of that. But there are those that I think I don't think I want that taught um, in my schools. Right. Yeah. So you know, I mean, as as humans, we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, we're social animals, and I think that we look for um, you know pockets of shared life together. And I think modern. Uh, politics, which really, you know, politics is just our shared life together. I mean, that's sure. that's what it is. And I think when we look at all kinds of different political groupings, not political parties, but pockets of shared life together, we tend to hold up um, civil politics as the highest and most um, and the largest kind of expression of our shared life together. And I think what the what the church is saying and what it has said for 2000 years is that is not the highest level of our expression of life together that, um, you know, nation states, while as good as they are at helping us, um, be, uh, kind, generous, helpful to one another. Um, they create a society of laws that, um, helps us live together that that is not the highest and most full expression of who we are as social creatures together, that the church is that highest expression of that. And I think in um, especially the later part of, um, you know, what a lot of historians call the American experiment, um, that that we tend to blur those two a little bit. And um, not that one is the other, but sometimes I think Christians get those confused as to which one has primacy um, over the other. And primacy doesn't mean it's not one is good and the other one is bad. Um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a fallacy. That's an either-or fallacy that doesn't need to be there. Someone doesn't have to lose in order for you to win. Right. And mm-hmm. that is, um, you know, that's, that's hard to hear sometimes, oh. I think, in modern America. Yeah. But um, 
you know, that our, our social life together, um, the, the fullest expression of that is found in the church universal, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which spans nations, ages, races, identities, and time, mm-hmm. you know, which really blows your mind if mm-hmm. you sit down and think about that. So, right. yeah, I think we've mixed some of those things up and, and put things in different places and mm-hmm. reordering those is always a helpful activity, which has to be done all the time. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's something that you just don't figure out and go, well, there we go on to something else. I mean, it's a constant reorientation of what's first, what's second, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it's interesting, and at some point it probably is a splitting of hairs, but I think it's an important splitting of hairs. Does politics drive my faith and my belief, or does my faith and my belief drive my politics? Um, and I'm, I'm one who would say that I think my faith drives my politics. Mm-hmm. Um, my faith drives uh, what I believe in about God and what I believe about God and how he wants us to live and what I believe about Jesus drives what I think is well or not well mm-hmm. in our political realm. Um, and so I was, I was, I've worked into, in, in a lot of prisons over the years, um, from federal prisons to, um, to state prisons. And one of the state prisons I was in, um, the uh, assistant warden was a member of our church and I was in visiting him one day and he was just giving me a tour of the facility and we came into this room and that was really looked like a classroom but it was the worship room for the whole prison and there were lockers against the wall and so the Methodist had a locker and the Baptist had a locker and, <laughs> and Muslims had a locker and Mormons uh-huh. had a locker and Catholics had a locker and he was talking to me because he was sure they were going to be sued. He said, uh, we've had a group come to us and say their religion uh, has not been identified in the prison and they want their right to worship the way they want. Well, included in their worship was the sacrifice of cats. And the prison said, that's not happening. And he says, but we're going to get sued. Sure. Which I just find, again, interesting. Uh, but that's that's the reality. Is when we open the door wide, uh, we open the door to whatever flavor or venue of a faith system uh, gets to operate. Right. Um, so sometimes I think that drives us to try to control that. Um, to- yeah. So that that's one response, right? Is to control that to make sure that. Uh, things that do not fit my idea of what a shared uh, nation-state political life together should look like. I want to fuse the two of those together. And then, you know, one of the other responses is to say, get get all of that out. Find another shared space for that. And, um, you know, those have been two two opposing sides, I think, looking for a, a solution that works, but, you know, two opposing sides that have been at the heart of America, at least since it's, since mm-hmm. it's founding, mm-hmm. you know, and most likely will always be there mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, in sure. some, mm-hmm. some form of tension, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, um, at our very heart, um, want to share the God that we love and, uh, the God that we worship. And so, um, so we want to get into places where people might not have heard of that God. And we want, uh, you know, there's part of us that, that wants to allow others in until they are so far different from us that we say, no, not them. Right. 
Yeah. Um, and and then you know where's that line and and what how does that uh, change what what we do and where we try to go if there is freedom of speech and freedom of religion. It's interesting. Sometimes I think. Uh, uh, our fear is bound up in it threatens my faith because right. I don't have answers to some of the questions they're asking. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And every now and then I get on this role that I think I need to protect God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, uh-huh. and somehow or another, uh, God can't hand stand up for Himself in some of this, and so then I then I try to to close down or nail down a belief system, of course, which resonates in my soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, God has managed to survive since the beginning, <laughs> yeah. um, and His Word, one way or another, has managed to survive and thrive since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the thriving is just fascinating to me in, in some of the uh, African countries and some of the places in South America, the kind of uh, faith development that's going on there, the kind of explosion of uh, the, the Christian faith that's going on there. Um, yeah, it's you interesting know. that you say that. Um, I mean, uh, from a from a historical standpoint, um, Christianity has has always operated better um, when it's on the margins, absolutely, and not and not kind of the central fixture of its own empire. And um, that is hard to. I think that's hard for us to hear um, because sometimes we, you know, we miss the goal. We think, well, this should be to create a, um, you know, a Christian fixture that is so monolithic and widespread that, you know, that that's our thing to just keep growing this thing until, until, you know, it's, it's everything. And I think what's funny about that from history and from the gospels, even as we've been looking at, you know, certainly yesterday, but, but also, um, throughout its development in, in the world is that it has been the most on fire when it is the most marginalized and not a part of the uh, the system of the day. Absolutely, because most of the time it speaks against those systems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's good for us, especially during the season of Lent, uh, to reflect on how the gospel might be, um, you know, uh, revealing some of itself against our own. Um, not just internal systems, but our own social systems uh, as well. And that's hard to do. That's a hard thing to do. No one's saying it's easy or comfortable or any of that kind of, uh, any of that kind of business. But I think it is, I think it is good work uh, to do and it doesn't have to be violent work. Mm-hmm. It, but it will cost us something, I think, and it will uh, require some attention that uh, perhaps we, we haven't given it before. And, um, you know, that's always a little uncomfortable and a little, a little raw, um, but I think it's always moving toward uh, peace and reconciliation and those things that the gospel is bringing in from the margins, trying to invade, you know, the the stuff that's happening. Well, yeah. and and I think um, sadly, what's happening now um, in in our country anyway is that instead of peace and reconciliation, um, Christians are fighting each other, mm-hmm. and. Um, that is, um, I mean, the witness that comes from that is so horrible, right. um, and um, we are so divided. Um, you know, there are some pastors who, at um, 
not United Methodist pastors because we're not allowed, and I'm so glad we're not, um, to give out um, voting ballots um, at, at election time and say, mm-hmm. these are the Christians that you should vote for. Vote for. Right. Um, and it's as if um, there's a clear delineation between this is Christian and this isn't um, in, in terms of who to vote for and mm-hmm. what to support. And right now, um, Christians are – we're fighting ourselves, um, and that's just doing so much damage um, mm-hmm. to the Christian cause. Um, um, and Randy's right. I don't have to – I don't have to um, defend God. I don't have to, um, you know, Jesus is doing just fine on his own. But when I see Christians fighting each other, that just breaks my heart. Right, right. Uh, then then we don't see peace, even when um, we're worshiping the Prince of Peace. Um, and and I think we lose a whole lot right there. Uh, so, yeah. Well, if all these other Christians would just believe like I do, we wouldn't have near so many problems. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm always reflecting on the uh, institutional side of the church because in s- some ways I was a part of that institutional side of the church. Um, and uh, I've, I've, I've read back through the Old Testament over and over. And even when uh, the uh, ark was, was housed in a tent – there was institutional processes in place for that worship. When uh, Solomon built the temple, there was institutional processes. Uh, even in Jesus' time, there were institutional processes in place, some good, some not so good. And my reflection always goes to, what is it that we, the church today, are, have been, or are becoming, that somehow would cause us to lose focus? Right. Um, because the, the, the sin that... Uh, uh, the travesty that the children of Israel have always faced, and frankly we face yet, is we lose sight of there is only one God that we worship. You shall have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just invited to um, be a part of the Fun and Fellowship group on a Sunday night talking a bit about life in the church from a superintendent's perspective. Um, and to watch uh, churches over the years as they've closed their doors, they've put up their walls, uh, they've put in their boundaries trying to protect themselves, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the essence is that they eventually die. Right. Um, so having other churches even in the same block that we are um, is not an unhealthy thing. Yeah. It creates conversation, and conversation then creates my hope is, but intention, but practically, it creates uh, some sense of yearning to understand, or sense of, some sense of dialogue. Right. And so, even if it's uh, next door to, um, well, let's just we might have a Methodist church or a Baptist church, or we might have a, a Mormon church, or we might have the Latter Day Saints or the um, Jehovah's Witness church, or we mm-hmm. might have a Muslim uh, mosque there or mm-hmm. a Jewish temple, um, all located in the same spot. I think is healthy. Mm-hmm. Because it brings that kind of conversation and dialogue and helps us to dig deeper. One of the things I think right. we have really lost in this country is is a sense of what do I believe and why do I believe it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's some of the wrestling that's going on in Christianity today. Folks are, st- especially our young generation, folks are saying, "Well, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, why? What does this mean? What value is this?" Right. And sadly, there are sometimes when the older generation folks can't ask answer that because they never asked that question. They just did it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 
Let me um, use this as a plug. Um, one of the things that we're doing right now is um, trying through outreach is uh, trying to um, to determine how we can make the the best um, in the most important impact or the most significant impact in Bloomington Normal um, as we uh, try to reach the least, the last, and the lost. And one of the things that we'd love to do is to connect with other churches. We are going to have a meeting next week with all the United Methodist churches. But to be honest, I don't know a lot of other people. And it takes um, that personal invitation. If I send an, an email out to all churches, um, we're not going to get any response. But you who are listening, if you have friends or, or friends who are pastors, and those other churches, um, if you can let me know um, how you can help us connect uh, to be the church um, uh, in Bloomington Normal and help those who are, are hurting, um, please let me know. That's my um, unapologetic plug. There you go. And end plug. There we go. All right. That's right. It's in there. Well, we are... Uh... We're, we're almost out of time here. Um, this has been a great, uh, a great discussion, and certainly we would love to have um, your input in that discussion as well, and maybe some follow-up next week on that if we, if we hear back from you. Uh, we really do value that. Uh, I also want to say that as Randy started talking about the institutional church and kind of putting that under the microscope, the automatic lights in the office where we're recording this <laughs> went off. <laughs> so... Randy, the institutional church is listening. I have an idea they might be. I just just want you to know that. Okay. All right. And we thank you for listening as well, all of you out there. And if, um, again, if you'd like to comment, there are ways to do that uh, inside the app. If you're listening there or inside uh, your podcast app, go to connectwithcalvary.org slash daily connection. You'll find it there um, as well. Or comment on Facebook or wherever you find, uh, wherever you find this, we'll find you. So... Uh, Next week, we'll be back with a deeper dive into the uh, second day of Holy Week, five weeks early. Cleansing of the temple. You got it. All right. Until then, grace and peace. Mm